Hello, and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Sox. And I'm Lori Sox. And today we have the pleasure of another conversation with Maisen. Today we're going to talk about fear. And this conversation unfolded in such an enlightening way for me personally. So it is a, a very personal journey with some great revelations of just finding a way to be here now completely in a conversation about fear and learning to be without fear. Welcome, Maisen. Good to see you again. Yeah, nice to see you again. I didn't realize when we set this up that it was Easter Sunday. Is it still okay for you? Do you want to move it to another day? It's perfect. Oh, no. Yeah, no, it's perfect. Yeah, we have a household where I'm a Buddhist and my husband is Jewish. And um, my relatives are Christian, which is not surprising, but um, my daughter, before she learned fractions, would say that because she wanted to belong to everything, she'd say, I'm half Buddhist, half Jewish, and half Christian. But then when she learned um, fractions, which I think was in third grade, she realized that wasn't possible. But I did think that that expressed really every child's desire to be included and uh, to really experience that through family, you know, the inclusion in family, a big family. I think as adults, sometimes we separate things, but I think kids naturally want them to come together. Yeah, because they're much closer to that original state, which is the undivided state. And that's kind of part of what I think we'll, we'll talk about today. Uh, children aren't born with that sense of separation. That's actually a learned and conditioned behavior. And uh, it's useful, you know, it's, it helps us to function, but at the same time, it's a delusion and it leads to all kinds of suffering. We're so glad to have you back to be able to talk some more today. I was excited uh, when you said fear, because I love these talks. I think there's so many different talks that we can have. Uh, and when you were talking about fear, there's so much there. A lot of my relationship with Sophia, she gets afraid of things. And I think that we had discussed some things that had happened when she was very young. It's almost like um, a knee-jerk reaction when she gets, she'll get these fears, fears of a dog barking in the street or, or whatever it is, should, it'll just, it'll well up in her. And I think there's that. And then I think there's also the fears that we, we talk about just as adults, fears that stop us from pursuing our dreams or living our lives or taking that chance or loving someone, you know, deeper or whatever. This, there's fears that's so big. Yeah, fear is a barrier. It's always the barrier but that barrier is a false barrier. That's what we have to see. It's the barrier that we erect by seeing ourselves 
as apart instead of as one. And um, because of that, we have the sense of being ourselves in a very big, dangerous, uncontrollable place instead of simply seeing ourselves as united or as undivided or as at home. Frankly, when we are in our own homes, we usually feel quite relaxed and secure, um, unselfconscious. And that's because we feel as if we are, we belong. But when we view the world as separate from us and other people as separate from us, um, that's where we create and we live in a world of fear and the face of that fear is greed and anger and ignorance. When children are very, very little, when they're infants, they don't make those, uh, that differentiation, obviously. I always wondered why, I think, is it because they don't have language and therefore they don't have names for things and simply having names for things helps us to differentiate and separate ourselves from from life, from the life around us. But I can recall when my daughter turned two, we gave her a yard toy, you know, one of those plastic animals that kids can ride on. And she was so taken with it. And we have a video of her at two. And she's standing by this plastic elephant, a rocking elephant, which was her toy. And all she said was, mine, mine. And she saw my husband, she said, daddy, no, no, daddy, mine. And it was this, you know, such a thorough, complete, shocking demonstration of ego. And the fact that then from there on out, we live in that state, which is an artificial state, it's a mental construct that we are this separate life, this separate being, and that we have to defend ourselves from all kinds of dangers. So uh, we all live in a world of fear. And because it's that universal default state of mind, I think it's so useful to really examine it in ourselves, frankly, to examine the role that fear plays in our own lives. Because as I've said before, that's really all we ever have to work with <laughs> is ourselves. And it's so illuminating when we take these lessons and consider what our motivation is. Where are we coming from? So that ego, yes, which we all have and which is really quite useful, is the source of fear. In, in our practice, in my practice, my teacher always says, the basic ground you know, the starting place from ego is fear. And so, of course, we live in fear until we can recognize that that's the place that we too often act and react from. And it causes disharmony. So that's a good starting place. There's so much in there first because when kids are two. That's, that's what's labeled the terrible twos, which I, I always told Sophia, we're not, we're not going to 
give over to that. I'm not just going to say, okay, you're two, you get to be terrible. But I always felt like it was when, for the first time, she had a voice. Like uh, she understood that, wait a second, I have input here. And so it's so um, interesting to me. Is that when the ego begins to develop and and the fears that are there like when do the fears really kick in you know if if it starts when when they're two and and when you were talking about just defending defending what is mine would that come with for the first time feeling like there's a voice and there's a input is it natural just to then even at that young of an age want to defend it sure (laughs) once you have a concept of I, me, mine, that's really where you're always coming from. To defend oneself or to act in an aggressive way, all of that is comes from the sense of trying to secure a place, secure a self, secure all, all that that means. Now, I say that that's useful to observe it in a two-year-old or a three-year-old or a four-year-old. But what's really useful is to observe it in a 64-year-old. Say, how often am I still walking into a situation and acting or reacting in that self-defensive way that's predicated on seeing the people around me as threats and My fear is of losing some power or position or security. It's really the source of all trouble. You see, it's really the source of all trouble. If you look at the world as a whole, all wars come about because there are sides that are defending different positions. And sometimes they're just abstract philosophical positions, or at least they appear to be. But if we look down, you know, at the real source, they're defending profit or defending territory or defending all kinds of things that are used, and and frankly, an ineffective way to secure power and borders and um, secure things that can't be secured. So I think in, for myself, just to realize that my fear of what, what might happen, my fear of what I might lose, my fear of not getting what I want, my fear of what will happen in the future is a huge, the dominant contributor to how I experience my life. See, and who wants to experience their lives as if they're you know, in in a constant war. Nobody does. But just to recognize that at the beginning, and then every time, it's so subtle, every time I'm in a conflict, it's because I didn't get my way. (laughs) (laughs) It's so hard to admit that I just wanted it to be a different way, or my expectations weren't met, or I didn't feel valued you know, all the things that we, we have euphemisms for all the things that we think we deserve and that we need to get in order to feel something, you see. We're all very, very afraid. And until we turn and actually recognize that, 
we're afraid, particularly for our children, we can say as parents. And, you know, that can seem like that's our job. We're supposed to do that. We're supposed to anticipate these threats. And, but can we see a glimmer that what we're really coming from is our own fear? Our own fear. It's not a bad thing. We just have to be honest about it. Recently, I was talking to a, a couple that uh, just found out they were pregnant. So um, she's about three months along and she said, we're so happy and we're terrified. And right away, what occurred to me is that I was just a few days away from my daughter coming back home for a stay from college. And I too felt so happy and terrified. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you, you talk of the life experience, and I think the complexity of humans today is that we're very spiritual because we can think and we, and we have questions and, and we're looking for answers, and, and we don't have the weight of survival as much as we did. And I think when you look back at humanity, that fear was very useful. Um, it protected us. It, our life experience was, was living the next day not as much um, cerebral and spiritual, if that makes sense. And so I think a lot of the conflict inside of ourselves comes from being born in a way of survival, learning that there's more to that, because that's almost taken care of in, in, a, in a lot of ways. Just we're protected more than we ever have been in certain societies. And now we have the privilege of thinking and being deep, if you will. So we don't need the fear for that. The fear is the opposite of, of what we're looking for there. So to drop that may be a bit unnatural at first. I mean, you can, you're talking about a two-year-old who naturally fears. If we can settle into a peaceful place, then I think we can work on the relationships with ourselves and with other people and with our spirituality. Yeah, sure. You're absolutely right. Everything for me, my deeper understanding always comes back to fourth grade science. You know, I, when I think I had my first encounter with, you know, who we are and where we come from. And I, I, I now think that fear is something that really served us in the age of the saber-toothed tiger, you know, where when we saw a threat, we had to run. We had to look for an escape. We had to run fast. Actually, there still can be some circumstances that we encounter where we rely on that instinctive impulse to fight or flee. And um, you're right that now we really don't encounter that very often. And so we have to rely on imaginary fears <laughs> in order to justify our fear. And I like to say that fear resides in the future. In the future, we can imagine all the worst case scenarios. The future is catastrophic. The future is disappointing. So we are living now, we're trying to live now in such a way that we can preempt or prevent all of those terrible things from happening You know, in the future. I like to say that regret lives in the past, is the past, but fear lives in the future. So to see that then we know where our attention is. If we're fearful for the most part, we're over here in the future, imagining 
something that is vexing for us, we're trying to prevent, or we're trying to accomplish, or we're trying to avoid. And a lot of our mental life, the life of our minds is consumed by fears that do not relate to the moment that we're in. They're completely far-fetched and it gives rise to all kinds of phobias and all kinds of anxieties. My daughter sometimes describes the anxiety that she can conjure up when she's afraid to go someplace because the people there won't like her. Our minds are so powerful. We can construct whole scenarios with other people in them where things are happening that prevent us, that paralyze us from taking one step forward, you see. And, you know, this is the nature of anxiety disorders and they're epidemic now, you know. I can't diagnose that and I can't really speak to it culturally, but we can just look at how technology has changed our sense of reality, our experience of reality. And um, we even invented a new fear, fear of missing out, right? Fear of missing out, FOMO, which means I see something on social media and I feel that I'm left out because that's not where I'm at or what my life looks like. So yeah, we've adapted you know, as being so that we have this capacity for survival. And now in this age, what we have to, I believe, cultivate in ourselves is the ability to be present. Because in this moment right now, are you afraid right now? No. Is there any threat right now? No. There never really is. If we can live here moment after moment, then we stay out of this ego-driven thinking mind, the ruminations, and we live here where everything is okay right now and we can handle it right now. It's not scary right now. That's how in the practice that I follow, we move from fearfulness to fearlessness just by staying right where we are. Well, we say it a lot. We talk about the fear of the unknown, the future, and that's in our community. Uh, that is where we find a lot of fear. Yeah. And yet, if we stay right here, if we stay here, is there anything here that you don't know? No. You see? So this is how it is medicine. We need a medicine. We say meditation practice is a medicine for sickness and to anticipate what we don't know and can never know if we you know strangle and suffocate paralyze ourselves with that state of mind then we need a medicine and the medicine is to just be awake right here where you are pay attention right here where you are it's not very complicated and it's a very simple solution it's very hard to do you mentioned I mean mine, secure and defend, and uh, what might happen, what we might lose, uh, what we might what might be in the future, and um, just 
automatically that I think of, you know, as far as our journey with Liam, not only just the unknown of what will happen next in his life, but like we always talk about just the IEPs, I'm trying to think about it is it's a secure and defend that I personally always go in in with I'm really working on it for this year. Um, but but I, I always go because I was kind of um, I went in very naively the first time, just kind of trusting. And then once I was knocked down a couple times, I started to just put this armor on and it's just, I'm going to secure and defend his right to an education, secure and defend his place in an inclusive classroom. And it's not a, it's not a peaceful uh, and easy feeling. It's uh, and I don't, can you have that intention with a peaceful and easy feeling? Because how I go into it is, you know, I'm just, I'm armed. I've got my armor of, of laws and rights and they're all there to just defend and uh, log. And it absolutely comes from fear. It comes from, yeah, fear of my son not being in an inclusive classroom and getting an education or being seen as equal. You're afraid that you won't get what you think is right. Yeah. Yeah. And see, that's right there. You have to own that that is, first off, own that you're afraid. Oh, yeah. And that your fear is based on getting what you want to get. Now, none of that is wrong, but I'll tell you that we sometimes, we're really afraid of saying that we're afraid. And so how do we begin to unlock that? How do we begin to disarm ourselves? You know, I would suggest that what you consider doing is say, I'm afraid. And then define what you're afraid of instead of initiating combat. You know, that's very disarming also to the other people that you encounter to be able to say, I'm afraid. I found this out for myself because I would never say that. And there's something else that I would never say. I would never say I'm angry when in fact I was angry. And in my relationships with people, they would say, are you getting mad? And I'd say, no, no, I'm not, you know. And particularly my daughter would say, mommy, are you, are, are you happy right now? She'd say, and I'd say, oh, sure. But she could tell. So I think that the first step is to recognize the root of your position. And if it's ego-driven, that doesn't mean selfish. It just means you have a point of view and you're advancing that point of view. You're advancing what you want. We justify our position by saying that it's right or that it's fair or that it's legal or that it's what should be done. We, we justify it by all sorts of words. But at the root of it, you're afraid. And that fear leads to anger. So you're angry too. Yeah, yeah. What I found in my conversations with people is that I, if I could say that, not in an angry way, if I could just say, I'm angry, it was like a temperature reading. In other words, it would let people know the temperature that I was at. Not that I was an enemy or that I was going to explode or that, you know, I was a danger, but that I was angry or that I am afraid. You see, that reveals your vulnerability. And that gives the opening for people to respond to you, not as an aggressor, 
But as a non-aggressor, you see, to be able to say that, that's useful in a lot of ways. And it's useful in your, your relationships. It's useful in your relationship, the two of your rela relationship. You know how many times my husband has said to me, are you mad? I mean, does that ever happen to you, Lori? She's, I think pretty, he knows she's pretty when. good at saying, yeah, I'm mad. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. But I would always say no. And then I would, you know, like I could fool anybody. Yeah, I used to, I used to do that. And then I, I realized I, I couldn't fool anybody. <laughs> I do. I'll say, no, I'm good. I'm good. And <laughs> like I'm going to get through it on my own or something. And then it's just going to, you know, fester and, and, and explode someplace else. Yeah. But when you talk about actually telling people across the table that, I'm, I'm afraid. I, I have fear of right now, or I have fear of something. And you say it does open up our vulnerability, and that's something we talked Huge. about last time. Yeah. But it also, as someone who feels like the negotiator in the room, it feels like you, uh, that's a law that you're breaking, that you're, that you're, you're revealing your hand, or you're, you're, not, you're not doing a poker face, you know? But when you state it the way you do, it makes sense. It, it makes sense that the reaction would be, oh, oh, no, I don't want you to be afraid. What what can I do to calm your fears? And I think in reality, sitting in that room, I, I think there's a part because automatically I will go back to that. Do I trust? Because we've had that situation where we've been open before. And when someone goes, oh, no, 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 immediately, like I get on my neck, my hair stand up because it's like, oh, we've heard that before. It's, um, you know, like... There's lack of trust that's been built, but again, that's not necessarily the same people. And what you said, that you're there and you're feeling fear and you don't want to say that you're feeling fear because you're basing it on what's right or what you feel is the law or whatever it is. But there's also that anger of why am I so afraid? Why do I have to feel this fear? Why has this situation become something other than what it's supposed to be there's yeah like you know, like i'm sweating bullets and it's and it's your fault right i get mad yes you do now you see now you got to see the through line here fear is the basic ground of ego lori you have something that you're pushing for and that you want is it appropriate absolutely however that's then gives rise to this what if i don't get it what if you don't get what you want? And you're imagining in your mind, you're saying, I know what I should get and I know what I want and I know what's right. Now, let me tell you, there's not a single world war that's ever begun that didn't have that logic that applied to it. You see, this is my right. You know, this is the law, you know, blah, 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 blah. So, just recognize that your fear of what you might not get, my fear of what could happen, my fear of the future is at the root of this. So let's turn first and face it. Face it. I'm afraid. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid for my son. I'm afraid that he won't learn what he needs to learn. I'm afraid that he won't develop in a way that enhances his life. I'm afraid for the pain that he's going to endure. You know, I, I'm afraid for his well-being. 
I'm afraid for how this year is going to go. I'm afraid that you won't be able to teach him. I'm I mean, it has all kinds of expressions that it can take, but recognize that that's at the root. Now, fear is very rational. You see, we can rationalize fear and we can justify fear. Anger is also very rational and we can always justify our anger. However, what comes from it? What comes from it? You see, peace is here. It's always here. We exclude ourselves from it. We exile ourselves from it. This is all we know right here, right now. And it's all you'll ever know. So be honest now. Be open now. Be unafraid now. Be unafraid to reveal to people how you really feel before the anger, before the outrage, before the frustration. Be unafraid. Very, very hard to do. But that's why I do what I do. That's why I practice at least 30 minutes a day, sometimes an hour a day, just being where I am as I am. I can always handle it now. I have to go now. It feels like I'm going into a backpack or maybe my, my luggage is on the curb. I have to go ruminating around to find something that terrifies me and that you know I'm deeply, deeply afraid of. But I'll do it. I do it all the time. I do it nearly every night. I just have to recognize that that's what I'm doing. In a way, we're, we're really afraid not to be afraid. We think it serves us to uh, anticipate everything that can go wrong. You know, we, we think it really serves us to be very critical, skeptical, cynical about, about how things go. And, and yet it causes us to suffer. And I've, and I've had, I've not always gotten my way, right? And, and, and we made it through, especially in some of the, if I just talk about the IEP because, you know, some of our listeners deal with IEPs and all the emotions that go with it. But the truth is every time we sit in there, you know, armored up, we still don't get what we want all the time mm -hmm. and we're still here. Isn't that amazing? And I'll go back even further. How about when you had the genetic test? How about when you had the test and you got the, you made it through that. When you got the initial diagnosis or the initial news, I mean, how could you make it through that? But you made it through that. Yeah, this moment has all the power that you'll ever need in it. And you're already equipped to handle it. Uh, you, you can already get through it. It just seems that sometimes what we feel like we need to do is, you know, you know the whole thing about childproofing or, you know, we, we think that parenting or our, our role is to prevent certain, you know, terrible things from happening. Most of the things that we're afraid of, 
in some sense are going to happen anyway. Yeah. Because life is full of things that don't go the way we want them to, you know. But at the same time, it's full of things that are wonderful. And can we stay present for everything, for every moment? You know, fear is exhausting. Anger is really, you know, soul killing. So we're really talking about a matter of life and death here. How are you going to live? Are you going to be alive or are you going to be half dead? <laughs> stay alive, stay alive. When we talk about if we knew then, it's not really, that line isn't literally staying in the moment, but it does shadow that. And when we ask that to our guests, most of the time it's, I wouldn't have worried so much. I wouldn't have been so fearful. And I think we're telling ourselves when asked that question, if I knew then, what would it be? It would be stay in the moment. Yeah. Yeah, it would be. It would be. Yeah. You know, now we have, you know, there are so many people. There are so many ways or so many reasons to never leave your home, you know, to never speak to another human being. You know, we really create, you know, we're imprisoned by fear. And all that life is ever asking you to do, your life, all that your life is ever asking of you is that you put one foot in front of another, that you keep moving forward, not by leaps and bounds, but just one step at a time. And it doesn't matter. I mean, we have this notion that we're supposed to get somewhere, you know, or get something but it keeps going you see there really is no destination you know that we're supposed to arrive at but if we can keep ourselves not uh, totally unafraid but willing to keep going willing to take a step little by little we will have really served ourselves our life and everyone in it in the best way possible. You know, when you're a kid and, and, and all the monsters are under the bed or maybe they're in the closet, you know, as long as you don't look under the bed, you're just going to shake and tremble uh, under your covers. But if you go ahead and, you know, do the brave thing and take a look, you're gonna see that that monster that you fear so much isn't real. And that's the same way with fear. You know, really look at it. And instead of seeing it as this ominous, you know, gargantuan, worst possible thing you can imagine, bring yourself back here. Take a look at what's right in front of you. Trust that. Trust what's right in front of you. It sounds so simple, um, but it's very profound. You know, it's not a journey if you freeze in fear and stop 
moving. I really believe this. Liam's life is leading you into some scary places that you would have never ventured and leading you to trust and have faith and, and believe in yourself more so than anything you could have ever gotten at any. This is a, uh, it's just a PhD program, darling. I mean, it's major. If you don't come to a place where your heart lightens and your head is less heavy, then you haven't been receiving your lessons. You haven't been taking note of what he's here to do. We say that often to ourselves. We, we... It's a constant journey. I don't know when we first started to, maybe it was that first time in a, kindergarten where I said I'm just I just don't want to be angry anymore I was not angry that my son had down syndrome ever I don't I think that was just something that you know my life and what my life had been I wasn't going to be told by somebody that my son didn't have a value uh, but just the the exteriors that bombardment that happened and I and I think like when I remember uh, when I said, I'm not going to be angry anymore. And that was in kindergarten. <laughs> so we're going on to fifth grade. And it has been, but I think we have been working on not, not being angry. And it's funny, it is, a, it is something that we've always noticed. There's such a contrast between our home life, our personal life, our, our, our family, and the real world. Mostly school. I guess it would be mostly school. You know, some of the, the things that we get from the outside world. I guess I always felt like I needed to show the contrast, but I think what I need to do is eliminate the contrast and not that this exterior come into the interior, which I believe it has to some extent. It couldn't have not. But for this interior to seep into the exterior would be the ultimate goal. So be honest, be transparent, be real. You know, it's possible to say all of those things. I'm sad, I'm hurt, I'm disappointed, I'm afraid. You can say all of those things. You can be all of those things. I mean, that's a start, that's a start. There are not two worlds there's not an inside and an outside. That barrier is false, you see. You live actually in your world and each of us lives in a world that's not exactly the same as anyone else. After all, Stephen doesn't see and experience the world from your position. No, nobody does. But bring things into harmony. Now, I said that the ground of ego, the ground of I, and you see I, that language is always wanting something. I want, I want, I want, I want. We see that at two-year-olds or three-year-olds, <laughs> but we still continue that. I want, I want something different. I want my way. I want what's right. I want what's fair. And I want it now. But when that 
we quiet that a little bit and we're no longer so self-identified with that point of view. I have to assert that, see. Then what opens up is a selfless state. It doesn't mean that you become a doormat or people take advantage of you. It just means that your mind is open. You're not consumed by fear and desire. And then you act naturally, spontaneously, just your presence in a non-distracted, non-judgmental way is compassion. So people see you and relate to you in an entirely different way. They see that you care and that changes outcome. I can remember, oh, this was, it's embarrassing for me to admit, but um, I was, I was always the parent that was, the, I still am the doer, you know, the fixer. Um, I was the manager. I would spend time anticipating what was needed and lining things up and so forth. And um, one time my daughter and I were having a conversation and uh, we were talking about something and, and she was upset. She was, you know, kids are upset a lot, <laughs> especially teenage girls. <laughs> and um, she said something about her dad. And I said, well, your dad doesn't, doesn't care about that. I knew exactly what I was saying. And she said to me, yes, yes, he does. He just cares by caring. And I was, she, she nailed me on that one because the way I demonstrated the care and concern that I had was by overdoing, overthinking, over planning, you know, over managing. And she had seen and could tell the difference between that, which was ego driven. I was doing all those things for me to make me feel less afraid. And she saw in her father just the pure state of empathy or, or, or caring or love. It didn't have any of those extras <laughs> that I was always appending to things. I see Stephen nodding right now because he knows or he's experienced that, that he can relate in a way that I found as a high functioning mother that I could not relate. I was too scared. I always had to get ahead of something, you know, figure something out, have a plan. So yeah, we care by caring. And that actually compresses the whole timeline right back into this place we're talking about. Right now, can you be compassionate and care and listen and be open without going into this territory over here in the future where somehow this better outcome exists and we're trying to maneuver right here so that we can get arranged for the future delivery of something that we want. Uh, it doesn't even matter whether I think I've been a good mother. My nature, my I've practiced being, what did we used to call them? You know, uh, overachieving. You know, it may seem as though you have to overachieve, Lori, but if, you've, if you're revving up in that direction, the only direction to, to go is to back up a little bit. Just back up a little bit. 
we call this in my practice, it's, it's an actual, you know, kind of philosophy that we're supposed to follow, something we put into practice. Take the backward step and turn the light inward. I have to examine myself. Where am I coming from? Am I coming from that place where what I'm aiming for is really to serve myself, to relieve my fear and anxiety? you know, to manufacture some better outcome so that I feel less afraid. It's most of the time, it's most of the time that I have to take a backward step and turn the light inward and see that I'm overstepping. Hmm. I like that a lot. I have to, I'm, I know I'm over, I feel like I'm over here smiling as you say these things and it feels a little inappropriate because what you're saying maybe might not be construed as a positive. Um, but yeah, spot on. And I'm, I'm smiling because our daughter had a six feet apart while we're doing this. She had a six feet and it's the first one with her two best friends in like a year. And, you know, normally I am, you know, when she was little, I would, she didn't just have, she didn't have to have imaginary friends because I would, she'd be like, mom, be Cruella DeVille. And I had a coat to match and I would be Cruella DeVille or mom, be Peter Pan, be Captain Hook. And I would be that character. So she had like a perpetual Disneyland. Like a vaudeville show. Yeah. At all times. And one time I realized, and I was like, wait, if I'm, if I'm Peter Pan, who are you? And she said, I'm Sophia walking around with Peter Pan. And I was like, no, you have to be like Wendy or someone. Like you have to be so, I'm just not, you know. And and so that was that. But today, because we're, we're in the process of a lot of changes, her friends came over and I was so unprepared. But immediately I was like, oh, I have to make snacks. What can they drink? And I just, instead of it just being three girls sitting six feet apart, playing Mad Libs on their phone, it was like, I need to bring it up here. There's that over, and I'm so aware of the overcompensating. So, you know, full, full disclosure, I was adopted. I was taken from my mom when I was four years old. I lived through a series of, um, unfortunate foster, uh, families before landing in, not the best situation. So as a parent, and this is for, you know, I'm going to be honest here because this is, life is not perfect. Um, but as, as a result of not knowing or feeling like I didn't know what to do, I knew what I wasn't going to do, but not, and then also overcompensating for maybe what I would, I wanted, what I saw my friend's experience and things like that as a child growing up, I in turn have overcompensated for 13 years, like for 13 years, just trying to, trying to do it right. Because there was a feeling that I was incomplete. I didn't know how to do it. I, I had I'll carried so much negative that was input onto me, you know, that that this was the only way that I could not be that was to be this, right? And and so when you're saying all this, it's like, it's absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, you guys had talked earlier about um, fear, because I know we're going to bring this straight back to fear. <laughs> um, but you were talking about how fear s- suited 
humanity in a time when they had to fear for their existence, when they had to escape the saber-toothed tiger. And, the, and that doesn't necessarily, and that form still exists. But what about for those people who still have that saber-toothed tiger, who are still fighting for their survival? And if not doing that now, but if at their foundation was that um, feeling of having to fight for their survival, because I, I know that that plants things in you. I have a, I have a very, um, I've always had a confident feeling that whoever my mother was for those four years did love me because I feel like that was planted in me. And that was my strength. And this is, you know, I'm talking about a kid. This is what, uh, this is kind of making hide nor hair of the whole situation and piecing it together. The only thing I could come up with was she must have loved me for those four years because I wasn't broken. And, and so when you guys were talking about we don't have to fight for our survival anymore in that sense, I think there's a, there is a part of humanity that either still feels like they have to, still might have to, um, or came from a place where they did. And so how do you unroot what's been planted? Well, the question is, does fear serve you? I don't know if I would ever admit that I was afraid, but there was a heightened sense of the situation that definitely made me in tune with what I needed to do in order to survive, make it. That was then. Yeah. Yeah. You see, that's that clarity that we have to come and the choice that as adults we can make, you know, to really examine that to really examine our fear, to really examine our anger, to examine those aspects of ourselves that are learned. They're conditioned behaviors, but when they no longer serve, you know, when they no longer serve you to examine that pattern and face it, and then be able to unwind and let go of the past. Now, I can tell you that if an earthquake, you know, were to come any minute, which, frankly, the only place in the world that people are not afraid of earthquakes is the place they actually happen. So we could (laughs) be having an earthquake any minute, you see, you would know exactly what to do. You know, you would run. So you have this capacity to survive a circumstance, whether you will or not, I don't know. So we all have that. You know, what I used to see it sometimes as is, because I, I would be confused as a mother, you know, was I, um, you know, how much was too much and how much was too little. But then I realized that if I were to watch my child run out uh, the front door and onto the sidewalk and into speeding traffic, I would run after her and I would yank her little arm so hard, you see drag her out of harm's way if I could. And that would be without a thought, you see, without a thought. So we have powers, you know, that will serve us in times of real stress and danger. We do. And so we don't have to dream stuff up to help us to survive. But does your fear 
for Liam, is your fear for Liam and the outcome of these days and years in Liam's life, does that serve him or does that serve you? And is that necessary or is that a negative? Does, is that paralyzing? Is, does it lead to anger? Does it lead to harm? Those are things that only you can look at, but you have to understand that that's, what's, that's there always. Fear is the basic ground of the ego self. And you'll always have an ego self, but recognize that it's a wonderful servant and a miserable master. You don't wanna be ruled by the machinations of your own ego. That never leads to anything but distrust and more fear because that magnifies and uh, perpetuates the feeling that you live in a dangerous place and everything outside of you is a risk and a threat and you won't get what you need unless you battle for it. We can look at our society because frankly, there aren't very many enlightened people or compassionate people, you know, leading us. And you can see how egocentric people have perpetuated and amplified fear as a way to diminish and divide our country and our culture. So you have to, you don't have to, but it would be wise if you looked at yourself, it's always wise when we look at ourselves. And in each moment, we have a choice. We can go toward the light, which is reality, okay? Or we can go toward the dark, which is our fear, our hostilities, our anger, our aggression, our greed, you know, our self-service. We tell ourselves, I tell myself, that everything I do is to serve someone else, you see. But even as I say that, I see my resentment, you know, creep up, maybe my anger. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm so selfless in the way that I, you know, am a wife and a mother. And yet I see every single dirty bowl that doesn't get placed in the dishwasher. And that to me is an assault on who? Me. <laughs> That's how I see it now. So will I make a scene, you know, bang my fist? Will I say that that's a huge problem that we have to address? Or will I just realize that it's only a bowl? And can I pick it up and rinse it out and put it in the dishwasher? Most of the time I can, but I'm aware of this, you know, simmering fury when people don't do things the way I think they should be done. And it plays out in everything. I have always been aware of the fact that, you know, when Liam was born with Down syndrome and the message was that he was unwanted, there immediately I saw the correlation with the fact that I was actually unwanted. I was a child who was unwanted. And there was something in me 
that that was my that was my fight of nobody wanted me and I I made it I'm here I have a, a beautiful life and uh it was definitely dug in to say you can't say that about him because you don't know who he will be and what he will bring to the world it didn't feel like it was a bad thing coming from an ego I felt like it was more you know a mom knowing firsthand what it feels like to be told you're not wanted and what that could do because I have seen what that does do in real life to neurotypical human beings who are told they don't have a value and are unwanted. And that has always been at the bane of not necessarily the fight, like when I go in to an IEP, but definitely at the bane of that nobody can tell me my son doesn't have value because he's going to determine his quality of life. And he has that power. I've always known that he has the power to create his life and say who he will be just like I had that because words were spoken over over me that were very similar to the words that are spoken over my son by people that don't know him. So that is definitely at the foundation of not necessarily the fight for an education, but definitely the mindset of he will determine what his life will become. Yeah, that's wonderful. It's wonderful that you see that. That's very useful that you see that because now you can see that that's not true. It's certainly not true now. Are you loved now, Lori? Are you valued? Yes. Yeah. Is your life full? Definitely. So you no longer need to defend against that. And you don't need to defend it for Liam. Is Liam loved? Mm-hmm. Is his is he secure? Yes. Is he wanted? Mm-hmm. You see, I really do believe that your sincerity and your your real open heartedness, your sensitivity as parents, delivers that message loud and clear. And um, I don't worry about Liam. But there is much to, of your life that you can reclaim. And uh, I think Liam is a vehicle. He's a portal for you. Uh, we are all actually in the business. I've realized of parenting ourselves, healing ourselves, schooling ourselves. I was very grateful um, that uh, you know, when my daughter learned fractions in third grade, that I could relearn them myself, you see? And that, you know, her fourth grade science was an opportunity for me to be excited about fourth grade science. And uh, in all the ways that I have, uh, all the experiences that I've had in parenting, the first thing I think I learned was to forgive my parents for all the shortcomings that I imagine that they might have saddled me with or all their mistakes. We come to this life to learn. And the most important thing to learn is who we are and what we really are. And to forget those things that no longer serve us, no longer apply. 
I just want to encourage you. It seems as though you're ready to go deep. You know, you're willing to go deep. To um, accept, recognize, to realize, actualize who you really are. And uh, who you really are is more than enough. Who you really are is love. And what you really are is love, unencumbered by fear or reservation. So the more you move toward that, accepting and tolerant, empathetic, sympathetic, compassionate, even-minded, you're a wonderful beacon in the world, not just to your family or to those who are in a similar circumstance to you and for whom you advocate. You can change minds and hearts. And um, I hope you use that power. I'm just absorbing so much for today because in my brain, I think that as a human living a life, you know, I think when I turned 20, I started to read every self-help book you could possibly, you know, that's how I just was like, what, what was that all about? <laughs> you know, just trying to sift my way through and, and you get to a point where you think you've really come through and then to look at life and to just say, part of it is learning from the past. I have learned that I've seen that. And then, but not being ruled and to be able to let go of that, like, what if, what if I was right here without thinking about what was done or said to me in my life? What if I was just present with Liam all the time, instead of worrying about what could be taken from him or defending maybe because I don't want him to be on that path or him to feel that, what would that look like? Let me tell you what it would look like, Lori. It looks like this. This is reality right now, okay? Are you okay right now? Can you handle this right now? Yeah. Yeah, of course you can. It's only ever now. It's only ever a moment. That's shocking given how much we prepare to live someplace else. And all we ever are is in the now where we can handle it. Well, we're not talking about this. We're talking about some other scenario that's you know unimaginable, that we're, is so frightening that just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, see, we have to pull ourselves back here, pull ourselves back here, pull ourselves back here. I, let me tell you, I mean, I was really screwed up and I still am screwed up, but I, I'm a crazy person with a practice and my practice is to come back here and give my complete attention to what appears in front of me which is always perfectly ordinary. It's always very normal. <laughs> it's not anything fancy or, you know, it's not some sci-fi thing, okay? And what I wanna tell you and what now your job is to believe is what I would say to Liam, but Liam knows this already. You're perfect as you are. You are perfect as you are. That doesn't mean better than. It means complete. You lack nothing. Your life lacks nothing. Your needs are met. You are loved. You belong. You're included. 
Now take care that you don't think otherwise. This is a journey to becoming yourself. Each of us is on a journey. We think that this path is, is in order to what? Produce people, produce other people, give birth and then shape some life. But every life is perfect as it is. Every life is complete. All the potentialities are there. So study yourself, apply these to yourself, recognize in every moment that you have the choice to go toward light or to go toward dark and keep moving step by step into a world that is saner, safer, more loving, less afraid. That world is not some other world, it's your world. It's the world you live in right now. When you change, that whole world changes. You know, it really stuck with me last time we talked is when you said, uh, let's be friends. <laughs> and it really is, it did stick with me and I'm, and we've, ne we've never met, but, it's, uh, but I feel close to you and I feel grateful for you. You know, that's what happens when people don't pretend to be who they're not, you know? It's like we're all naked, you know, on the same road and nothing hidden, you know, no, nothing contrived. As actors, you should aspire to that. Vulnerability is what that's all about. And it's, it's so funny because Stephen says about we've never met, but you feel like a friend. There's something that, you know, my life, my past, there's a few people in my life that know it, but it's something that I keep uh, very, like I don't, talk very much about it I don't and I've given it this like power and as you know as we're talking it's like I just feel like I'm not the only one who's lived this path I'm not the only one and there's a comfort level to just just let go of whatever power I've given to whatever was there because in in the moment I always got through it and then at some point I let it have power to become some kind of like secret or something that made me less than or, and it's not, it's just my journey. Yeah. And uh, it's the monster under the bed, you know, it's the shadow side. And uh, yeah, that's why we move toward the light. And look here, you know, it's always light, right? So it's not some kind of, you know, woo woo light. It's the, you live here in this light where things are exactly as they, they are, when they're not shadowed or cloaked in fear. Yeah, right here, you'll always be okay. So live in the place that you're okay, not in the place that you're not okay. You know, live here and don't go up there into the attic. I say, I tell people that's the attic. You go up there and you rummage around and you find, oh, but remember that time when such and so happened and... Yeah, that's what we do. But that's not who we are, you know. And, and because we're coming up on, uh, I just remembered this today. I want to share this with you. My mother died when my daughter was a year and a half old. So we had, I had this very brief time period within which I recognized how important my mother was. <laughs> Unfortunately, I was in the midlife, you know, I was 40. I recognized how much I needed her, you know, how important she was to me. 
and it was the end. But um, she died, now it's 20 years ago that my mother died, and I will share with you the last words that she said to me the last time I saw her, which was around this time of year. She said, be yourself and take good care of your family. And it was some time after that that I realized that she had said it all. Here I had spent a good part of my life trying to become someone that I wasn't, you know, succeed, be good at something, be recognized, be validated, you know, be important. And as a mother, she wished me her highest wish that I could realize, you know, for myself, all she ever wanted from me was that I be myself. And then when you are truly yourself, you can really take good care of your family. You'll know exactly what to do. You'll get out of the way and you'll go ahead and load the dirty dishes, you see. And um, I realized at some point that she was my first and greatest teacher. So I'll leave that with you. You don't have to be better. You don't have to be smarter. You don't have to know more. You don't have to get someplace else. Just be yourself. That in itself is how you can take care of your family. Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod, and you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If We Knew Then Pod, or visit our website, ifweknewthen.com, to send us an email with questions and comments. And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. Come and talk.